Good work, guys. Good work. Good morning. Thrilled to be here. I feel like I've drawn the lottery because it's raining out. The one Sunday of the year that it's raining and I get to preach on that Sunday because you don't have anything to do this afternoon. You can't go to the beach, you can't go skateboarding, maybe a movie, but you are stuck and I am glad you're stuck. So, but I'll be respectful of time as you might expect. It's a thrill to be back here. I love uh, teaching here in the student ministry, in the next generation ministry. It is a privilege to, to do that this morning and I've hand selected a topic. I've entitled it on the front of your bulletin, Millstone. If you have a copy of God's Word or your iPhone, you can turn it on and go to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 should be relatively familiar uh, to you. Back in the fall, you traverse this terrain, but we're going to go back and do a little old school and correct everything your pastor messed up in the passage. No, he did a fine job, I'm sure, but I feel like the Lord has directed us to this passage for this morning and this hour and so join me there in Mark 9, 42 to 50. And again, I've entitled it Millstone, or in the Greek, Mulos Oinkos. And I'll bring that up in a minute, why that matters, Mulos Oinkos. So let me give you a little bit of information about this particular passage that you might not know. Um, this section of Scripture, so we're parachuting into Mark chapter 9, this section of Scripture began back in Mark uh, 8, verse 34, which states, if anyone here this morning wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So this began an opportunity for Jesus to speak into his leadership team, his disciples, which began there with that significant statement in 834. And by the time we encounter Mark 9, he's going to give us two expectations of what that looks like. If you are a follower of Christ, then these are the expectations, and there are two. This is the high point, though, in this section about being a follower of Christ. This is where you summit, okay? So we're kind of ending the section on discipleship. This is the big summit. summit. This is uh, the apex. And I want to be up front with you. It's a tough text, and I hope you'll give me the privilege to speak in your, your lives uh, today because it's, it's a strong text and I, I just want to share that up front and I'd like to dilute that. Even this morning I got up and I, I first thing when I woke up this morning in the hotel I thought I don't want to teach this text. I, this is not going to be popular. Like this stinks. And then of course I went through all the battles in my mind and Satan saying you stink. So I thought the text stunk. You know he says you stink. You know, and I'm going back and forth, no, the text stinks, no, you stink. And so I've gone through all these gymnastics this morning, but here we are at, at 1130, and I, I'm ready to wrangle with you if you don't mind, and uh, we need to get busy. So it's a tough text. I just want to say that up front, um, it's a strong text. Second, it's a radical text, radical before David Platt was radical. I mean, this is like serious, serious stuff here, as you're going to see um, in a moment. Third... It's intense. It's kind of one of those passages that, you know, you kind of sit up straight, you know, in church, and you're like, whoa, uh, we're on holy ground. So that's kind of the feel of the text. It's, it's extremely uh, intense. And fourth and final, it's grotesque. There's body parts everywhere. So it's a little, little gnarly, um, as you would say down here in the OC, a little gnarly. It's grotesque. 
I mean, arms are cut off, eyes are plucked out, hands are lopped off. I mean, all the appendages are just laying all over student ministry here. And so I just need to be fair with, with that um, this morning. So with that said, let's read the passage so you can remember it and get it into your minds. And we're just going to walk through it together and uh, we should come out the other side better for it. Jesus said, whoever causes uh, one of these little ones who believe to stumble, pause right there. So we're going to talk about the doctrine of stumbling. That is the topic, the title being millstone. Whoever causes one of these who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he'd be cast overboard into the sea. This heavy millstone in the Greek is mulos oinkos. It takes a mule to move it. It's so large, mulos, stone, oinkos. It is a massive stone, a massive stone hung around your neck and you'd be cast overboard. Verse 43, hey, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's actually better for you to enter life crippled and having your two hands to go in, than to go into hell and into the unquenchable fire, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. Why, it's better for you to enter life lame than having two feet, able to run like crazy, and be cast into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. Why, it's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye, like a pirate, than having two eyes and be cast into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Our topic is millstone this morning. To destroy your own faith or someone else's faith is not smart. I wrote the book, Live Smart. Some of you got one of those this morning. It is not smart to destroy another person's faith or your own faith. I want to say that up front. A little more context, two more pieces of context. Number one, Jesus asked Cain where his brother was in Genesis 4-9. And he responded, am I my brother's keeper? And God responds categorically, yes, you are culpable you are responsible this morning for one another. You're responsible for one another. And so God has made it crystal clear all through Scripture that you are to care for one another. So much so that he gave us 32 different formats of the one another's in the New Testament. Love one another. Forgive one another. Be hospitable to one another. Care one another's burdens. I mean, this, it just goes on and on. There's a, there, there's a plethora of these one another's which remind us this morning that we are responsible. The reason that matters is our Western mindset might be that we're just told to care for number one or to look out for number one. That is contrary. That is antithetical to the Scriptures. The scriptures actually call you to die to yourself and to look out for one another better than yourself. And so to go back to that question that was asked in the ancient context in the book of Genesis, are you your brother's keeper? The answer is categorically, emphatically, 
Yes. Second, hell is serious business. This is an occasion where hell is mentioned in contrast. This is not a passage for unbelievers. This is actually a passage for believers. But when he's describing how serious it is to endanger yourself or to imperil your own self in sin, he contrasts it up against hell, the doctrine of hell. Hell is the worst thing you can imagine. Now, it's unfortunate, but we use hell in sentences all the time rather flippantly. Um, we, we use it all the time in, in our speech. We say war is hell. We, we, we say my job is hell. It's used to describe some seemingly unbearable situation in this life right now. My life is hell on earth. People use this all the time, very flippantly. I can assure you that it's the worst possible scenario and place for anyone to go. So we can't minimize its ghastly place, its ghastly location. Just to remind you a little bit about it, and we're going to move on because we need to get to our doctrine of stumbling. If you were to go to hell, it is a place of conscious torment. Some people believe it's unconscious torment. It's just over, lights out, everything's over. No, it's conscious torment. You've experienced the full wrath of God. There'll be physical pain and torment. It is called in the scriptures, lake of fire. Jesus actually talked more about hell than he did heaven. Interesting enough. What's there is the absence of God's blessing. Not the absence of his presence. God can be anywhere and go anywhere. But what's there is the lack of relief, his blessing, his care, his rescue, his forgiveness. It's gruesome and grotesque forever. And the text says here three times, as you kind of see in your logo there, represented by the three flames, it's where the worm does not die. Why does the text say that? Why does Scripture say that? Because the host doesn't die. It's conscious, ongoing, forever torment. And therefore, the worm doesn't die because the host doesn't die. It's always feeding on the host. Okay. So this is the passage. We've kind of got onto the front porch. Let's go inside this house. Let's open it up. Let's take a look and see how we need to edit our lives this morning. Again, I stated up front, there are two, two exhortations I want you to write down as you're taking notes this morning. First, don't lead others into sin. Pretty simple. Jesus said, if you're going to be radical... If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then you must know how important it is not to lead others into sin. And by the way, I'm using the term radical because this is the high point of his discipleship. What is radical for us is probably ordinary in first century time when Jesus was walking with them. But we'll continue to use that word. Don't lead others into sin. Look at the text, we're in verse 42, where this principle lands. Whoever, anyone, any one of us, myself, you, the leadership, pastors, doesn't matter. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck or her neck and be cast into the sea. Whoever, apostle, disciple, student, doesn't matter. Whoever causes... Another believer to stumble. Now there's a reference here to the little, little ones. 
What he's talking about, just before this in verse 37, he had brought a child before them because they were struggling with pride and, and ambition. And he said, hey, you, the kingdom of God's like a little child. And if you receive a little child, you actually end up receiving me. And so that little child's probably still with him or beside him or possibly even in his lap. But it's not a reference to a little child. It's a reference to a young believer. As he pivots and he works with them, he's talking about someone that may be possibly uh, a weaker brother, but... For sure, they're impressionable. They're, they're, they're new to the faith. So it's just an ordinary young believer who's in picture, who's in view here as we deal with this passage, right? So it's not a child. It's childlike is what Jesus is trying to say. So whatever's done, whether it's good or bad, to these little ones, it's like doing it to me. It's, it's serious, Jesus says. So if, you, if, if how you treat one another is in essence how you treat Christ, that's the linkage. That's the connective tissue. If you treat everyone else badly, it's like you're treating Christ badly. That's how serious it is. So you can't make a false dichotomy between your relationship to Christ and your relationship to one another. They're inseparably linked together is what Jesus is trying to communicate. And then he says, stumble. There's the word. To stumble. We get our English word, scandal. To create a scandal with another high school student, or another junior high student, or another person in the ministry, or someone at home, or your brother, or your sister. It doesn't matter. And I think the question I would want you to stop and think about before we proceed is simple. Are you a stumbling block... Or are you a, an encourager, a stumbling, or a, a, a stepping stone? Like you, you build up people. Are you a building block or a stumbling block? Just kind of keep those in your mind and force yourself into a corner of decision so that you can, can make a good decision as we exit and head off to lunch this afternoon. And then he says, listen, you would be better off dead if you did that. You're like, are you kidding me? Yeah. You read it for yourself there in, in verse 42. He said, it would be better that a heavy millstone, a muleos oinkos. It would take a, a mule to move this stone. I couldn't move it. Probably four or five of us couldn't move it. You'd need a 1,400-pound burden of beast, either an ox or a mule, to, to move this. Now, there were two kinds of millstones, right? Just like we have two kinds of espresso machines. You've got the little ones in your house. And then you go to a coffee shop, and they've got those beasts, right? Those $32,000 sweet-looking spiders, you know, and you're like, oh, I'd love to have that. But you're not going to have that in your house, right? This is what this is a reference to, the big boy. So you can have a, a personal millstone, which you were making some, uh, some Panera bread in the morning with, right? Or you'd have a millstone, the monster, El Grande. I mean, this thing's huge. And he's basically saying you'd go up on a gangplank, you would tie a rope around your neck and they would throw the mulas oinkos into the water and guess what would follow the mulas oinkos all the way to the depths of the sea. I mean, this is massive. This is lethal. This is a big deal. Well, around your neck and thrown to the sea, this would have stung. It would have, it would have smarted. It would have hurt them. Why? These are land-faring people. They're not sea-faring people. They don't live by the ocean. 
They feared the ocean. They had aguaphobia. They had the fear of water. So not only do they know what a millstone is because they use it all the time and they see it in the community as they go get their grain ground up so they can make fresh bread. They also understood their fear of water and thought, oh my goodness, being thrown into the depths of the sea to go down about seven or eight fathoms to the bottom of the ocean and drown, which is horrific. So they had aguaphobia. Jesus is piloting it on for these, po- these people. It evoked fear. And what he's trying to say to us as students right now is it's serious to lead another believer into sin. It's a simple statement. Don't lead other people into sin. It would be better off that you're dead. You're like, that seems kind of harsh. I know. And that's why I got up this morning thinking, I don't want to talk to them about this. I want to do happy things. I want to go to Philippians, you know, and, and talk. let's count our joy. All right, one, two. No, I'm on this dynamic text, you know. It's a reminder, though. If you go upstream, it's a reminder to us this morning that discipleship costs, doesn't it? There's a price to pay. And if you've done Mark 8.34, which I read, then this is what it looks like in everyday life. This is what it looks like on the campus. This is what it looks like with your family. This is what it looks like with your friends. Leading immature, vulnerable, weak, uninformed believers away from Jesus is no bueno. It's no good. Let me give you an example. I'm raising a teenager. I got a 17-year-old boy. He's, he's like 6'5", really thin, kind of hideous right now. It's just kind of moving. <laughs> Don't tell him that. But you know what I'm saying? He's kind of gangly. He's good looking, but it's kind of like, wow, that's awkward. Now, he's the star of the basketball team, and he can dunk and all that stuff, but he's, it's a little funny, you know, for, for me. So the other night, they're going to their youth group. Just like you are here, they meet on Wednesday nights. And I'm just showing you how this spirals out of control. So... One of the moms typically pick them up. A couple of them drive. But we'd rather not, as parents, have them driving around. So mom picks them up, transitions to our house. They come home after school. They hang at our house. Then they go to youth group. My wife feeds them. And then, you know, they're supposed to return. And all the parents come and get them. Well, they concoct this strategy. They wanted a, 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 a gordita at Taco Bell. This is pretty simple. We're going to get down to a gordita level of crime here. So they think, we, we got to convince our parents so that we can go to get a gordita. Now, a gordita, just so you'll know, is not a taco. It has all the taco fillings, but it's not a taco. It's, it's, it's got like a pita bread around the taco. So it's got all the best things of Taco Bell in it, but mixed with grease. So if Greece and Mexico had a love child, it would be a gordita, <laughs> right? So they're kind of into this thing. It's high school students. So I don't understand it. It's not my jam. That's their deal. But this is going to be, Gordita is going to become the sin of the day, okay? And so I'm specific. When they come, I said, did your parents say it's okay to go get a Gordita? They said, yes, Mr. Dumas. Not necessarily. They thought my wife, Miss Jane, was driving them. They all piled in the back of a car. And so they had to all individually kind of twist the truth, half-truth this thing. And it all started with one of the bigger kids, Taco Bell, one of the larger grande boys on the football team needed gorditas, right? So I'm just, it's so stupid, I know. But the point is this, one kid wanted a stupid gordita, 
And the whole youth group is now in sin, lying to their parents over a gordita. I mean, that's craziness, right? That's stupid, right? There we are. Stumbling boy. And so I'm saying, son, why, what is happening? You know, like the whole youth group, what did the pastor say? What did, you know, and I'm just like, come on, man. Like, you're better than this, which they always say to me. Dad, you're better than this when I fail. And I'm just like, come on. But do you see how simple it is? That's just an example of one kid wants a gordita. The whole youth group falls into sin. And I said, son, it's, you can't lead people into sin. You can't lie. You can't, you know, sneak around over a gordita. But they're not even going out and trying to vape or do something weird. Strawberry jam. What, what is that? Like, they're not even being stupid. They're just like gorditas. We're talking about a buck fifty-nine. They're willing to put their soul in jeopardy over a gordita. It can't be that good, you know. But I just want you to see up against the silly account, the serious nature of verse 42. I mean, this is kind of dead man stuff here. This is serious, guys. When you lead another Christian, and it could be that they're a weaker brother. It could be they're new around here at Compass, and you say, come with us. So let's talk about some opportunities that you might lead someone into sin so that we might avoid them. First, it could be just like a sinful example. You could uh, just not be exemplary in how you live. Um, I use three V's with my son. Vaping, viewing, and voicing. Those are the three categories that I find him constantly sinning. Now, he's not a vapor, but I'm just saying that's the temptation. It's a symbol of some substance or something out there for me. Viewing, looking at things he shouldn't look at, to be honest. Hey, don't do that. And say, hey, did you see this? And voicing, maybe treating somebody who's vulnerable and, and being ugly, or they walk in the cafeteria and you make fun of them uh, because of how God made them, and you make some snarky response. You, it, Jesus said you'd be better off dead. I mean, isn't just a cafeteria talk, you know, it's pretty serious. So I find that shunning, judging, slandering, gossiping, all these categories of sins that we, we struggle with, I'll, I'll be honest, we all struggle with, these become issues in some way or opportunities to slander, to cause somebody to stumble. Another category, liberties. As you, go old, as, you gain, uh, as you gain an age and you grow older, you will have more and more liberties, choices you're going to have to make. And they are liberties. They're, you're free to make that choice. But it may not always be profitable. And what you have to remember is what you do in moderation because you've got control, other people do in excess, right? And so there's opportunities for liberties. Some guys just like to flaunt their liberties. Some ladies like to flaunt their liberties. You are well within the pale of scripture to do that and to participate in that but if you cause a weaker brother to stumble there's actually three chapters written to you in first corinthians 8 9 and 10 and then you have on top of that you have jesus dogpiling on top of paul's statements in first corinthians 8 9 and 10 with this verse here in verse 42 so flaunting your liberties don't use your liberties to cause other people to sin and by that i mean you say hey come out with us and it, it appears that you're, you're going to go see Little Women, but you end up just pivoting and going to a different show or a different theater. And you know what I'm saying? Like things get out of control. Another way is mediocrity. Some of you just live in mediocre lives. 
Like, you got one life to live. Let's go big, right? Let's do hard gospel things. We talked about that a few years ago. I mean, that's why we, that's why we, we go, you know? I mean, why are you like so bleh? You know, you kind of look cool on the outside, but you're bleh. You know, you're, you're a knucklehead. That's what I call my boys. You're acting like a knucklehead. Stop acting like a knucklehead, you know? Um, so I'm just saying, like, some of that is just like saying, instead of let's just, let's just not do a whole lot. And so you can be lethargic, spiritually speaking, I'm talking about, not in life, but spiritually, you're lethargic, and you hang out with lethargic people. Some of you just need to change friends today. Like, you need to stop with these, this gang and roll deeper with this gang, like Christian gang. So that's, some of you just need to do that. That's just part of the deal. And some of you adults, because I'm looking at all the adults that love you and serve you, here's where I sin all the time. So I'll, I'll be candid and vulnerable, because you're going to have to be candid and vulnerable, exasperating my son, right? That's how I can cause him to sin. The Bible talks about, I can, I can over-torque, and I, I try to be a cool dad. I mean, I wear dad jeans. I got it. You know, dad body. I got the whole deal. But I try to be the coolest dad in school, like, I mean, I show up big, I wrestle with the kids, and they're like, oh, but I, I'm convinced, <laughs> but I'm convinced that everybody thinks I'm the coolest dad, which is a point of pride, which I have to confess. See the cycle? It's just messy, you know, life's messy, but that's the deal. But I can cause my sons to sin by just kind of tightening down too much and being weird. You, you, some of your parents are weird. I get it. You know, I'm, I can lean that way. I can tilt that way. The gospel makes us weird sometimes. So that's just part of the deal. But so I have to watch out. The, the workers have, John has to watch out. All the sound guys, everybody that's in adult in this room, guys, gals, we have to be careful not to exasperate our kids because we can cause other people to stumble. The point is this. When you cause other people to sin, it's lethal. It's dangerous. You should stop. It is our Christian responsibility to care for one another. So when you see somebody pointing out or making fun of somebody in the cat, call them out on it. You know, uh, you may have a, a great body. They don't have a great body. And you make fun of that. Be careful. You are treading on millstone ground. And Jesus said, I'd rather you have... This is the, the Savior of the world who said, it is better for you to have a, a big, huge boulder tied around your neck and you'd be thrown in the Pacific Ocean off Point Loma than to do what you're doing in, in the cafeteria. So it's pretty serious. And I know in high school, it's easy to be critical of each other. You know, you're saying, why is he wearing orange? Because it's Orange County. I get it. Don't pick on me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think I showed up big. You know, we got a logo. I mean, we got it all. You know what? But you're still making fun of me. I get it. Be careful. You're on dangerous ground. Don't. Here's the principle. Look up. Don't cause other people to stumble. Now, let's turn... Let's talk about our interior life here. Turn it in. The rest of the, the text of Scripture, which is our second exhortation, is about this. Don't lead yourself into sin. Don't lead others into sin and don't lead yourself into sin. Don't cause yourself to be a scandal. Don't create a scandal in your heart. He's talking about self-mastery and self-control. Don't endanger yourself is 43 to 48. And here's what is behind all that. Here's what you might not know. Sin makes you stupid. Because like in an ordinary, when you're 
cognitive and you're walking in the spirit and you're reading the Bible and you're ten, you're doing all these things you know to do, you're kind of lucid. You know, you're kind of like, I got it. You know, maybe not as disciplined as you should be, you're kind of lucid. But what happens is when sin enters your heart and endangers you, the first thing that goes is reason. And then you do stupid things. And you start looking at that guy and you're thinking, he's a stud. And we're all going, what? Have you seen him? You know, or vice versa. So you, your mind, you just go crazy because sin makes you stupid. And it will do this the rest of your life. I'm 54 years old, and I continue to do stupid things over sin. So it's just part of the deal, but I just want you to know, and I want to put a caution here. I want to be like a, a, you know, a, a stop sign here to say, watch out, don't lead others into sin, and be careful to not endanger yourself. How serious is Jesus about it? Take a look at it. Um, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than having two hands and to go into hell and into the unquenchable fire, fire that lasts forever. Here's the deal. It's better to amputate a hand. This is what Jesus says. It's better to amputate your hand or an appendage than to go to hell. That's the principle. Now, what are we talking about? First, this isn't literal. This is spiritual mortification. This is spiritual amputation. This is hyperbole. It's there to make a point. He's going extreme. He says, deal with your sin in an extreme way. He's not saying, go out and cut your hands off, your feet off, and pluck your eyes off. Why? Because of Romans 7. You know Romans 7. You've been taught well here at Compass Church. Romans 7 states that sin is a heart issue, right? So you could be a torso flopping around on the floor and still lust. And still make fun of everybody else in the youth group. And still poke fun of those bangs. Or whatever it is you're doing, right? So it's not, it's a heart issue. What Jesus is saying is it's just super serious. It's like a double woe. Like seriously, don't endanger yourself. So what he's trying to say is any self-denial or cost to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, is totally worth it. The other day... After church, there was a young man. He's married and has kids. And uh, he, um, I said, hey, you, you want to get together so we can have coffee? And he said, yeah, that'd be great. I said, I, I'm not sure I have your number. Let's, let me, give me your number. And he said, well, I don't have a phone. I said, where's your phone? He said, I shot it. I was like, well, I live in Kentucky, so this is kind of normal. I know that's kind of weird. <laughs> we actually, you get a driver's license and a weapon when you, come to Kentucky. That's the beauty of it. So when you turn 17, you're, you're locked and loaded. You know, it's kind of, it's beautiful. Um, so I was like, what? Yeah, I took a rifle out and I shot it. I was like, why? He said, well, I was looking at stuff I shouldn't look at. So I just thought, blow the thing up. And I was like, actually, I was like, leading up to this passage, I was like, that's radical. Like, you're going to have to get another iPhone. But, you know, I mean, eventually here, because you can't stay off the grid too long. But I appreciate what he was saying is, Dan, I had to do what I had to do to deal with my sin. See the radical nature in that? I'm not sure what you're struggling with or what area it is, but what I'm asking you is to what Jesus would ask you to do and say, take sin so serious that you'd be willing to sever an appendage. Please don't do that. Please don't go home tonight and try to cut your hand off. Um, this is just no good. I'm going to get calls. It's messy. There's blood everywhere. Don't do that. That's not what the text is trying to teach you, right? It's, it's trying to say, be swift, be earnest, be radical, be serious, be over the top when it comes to dealing with your own sin. 
This is how sanctification works. Right? And so he gives us a radical comparison. In essence, do and endure whatever is necessary to go through the pain of sanctification. He said, Jesus is saying this, look up, I'd rather you be crippled than to go to hell. Hell's so bad. It's so forever. I'd rather you be crippled. I'd rather you be blind. I'd rather you not walk. I'd rather you not have hands. It's better to cut your hand off and, than to sin with your hand and go to hell. This is what he's trying to communicate. It's, it's strong. It's forceful. Now, that does not mean this is an opportunity or free text for cutting or masochism or anything brutal because the Bible also condemns that. Deuteronomy 14, Deuteronomy 23.1 goes into all of that and makes it crystal clear that you're not to mutilate anything. So this isn't antithetical. This is in cooperation with the entire corpus of Scripture. It's a point of comparison. It's a forceful illustration so that you will deal with your sin in a radical way. Just like later on, 1 John 1, 9, John says, If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But he's telling you, look, you've got to deal with your sin serious, seriously. So keep short sin accounts. Isn't it crazy? Do you not agree with me how hard this passage is? I told you it was kind of tough. It's kind of gross. There's feet and hands all over the floor, blood spurting out all over your shirt. And, I mean, it's crazy text, right? But Jesus is saying, this is our loving Savior who's saying that I'd rather your body be disfigured. Body disfigurement is way better than spending eternity in hell. Now, again, this passage is for Christians, but if you're not a Christian here this morning and you've been sitting here for a while and some, some of your friends have been inviting you to, to come uh, to, to the group and be a part of it and you're kind of wrestling with everything, listen, this is one of the passages. I mean, the day that I preached this in my church a few months ago, on the way home, I'm with my son, my 17 year old. I was like, guys, what, what's going on? Like, this is serious stuff. This is serious this is serious business, and so I, I, I want to make sure you are wrestling with that. If you're not a Christian, you run and cling to the cross. I cling to the cross because I don't want to go to hell. It's clear everything in this text is real. This is no laughing matter, right? If you play with fire, you will get burnt. So, the contrast is good for salvation, and it's also good for your sanctification. This morning, in fairness to the writer, Mark, it's in reference to your sanctification as a believer. If you claim Mark 8.34, then this is the expectation. You would care and look out for others. And second, you would care and look out for your own soul. Pay close attention, 1 Timothy 4.16, pay close attention to yourself and to your doctrine, right? This is soul care. This is interior work. I want you to give yourself to others, but I also want you to do good interior work. I want you to care for your own soul in the matter. And if it takes you losing a hand or a foot or an eye to make you see heaven, as pastors, we'd all agree it's a fair trade-off. As brutal as that be, as hard as that would be for us to deal with and for you to deal with, it would be better that you go into heaven limping, than to go in whole. And Jesus could say it a different way. What does it profit a person to gain 
the whole world and lose his own soul. What does it profit you to have a great body and to lose your soul? If you were to twist this text, that's exactly what he's saying here. And the alternative is disastrous. Hell. He paints the darkest picture you can possibly paint. And he's simple. I love it. It's clear. It's helpful for me. Don't love your sin and go to hell. And if you don't know Christ here this morning, that's one of our invitations to you. Don't, we're begging you, don't love your sin and go to hell. It's not worth it. Now, again, you, honestly, I know you're, you get faithful teaching here at Compass, but a lot of young people in your age, the next generation, never even talk about hell. And it's a dark topic. It's a harsh topic. It's hard to deal with, but I want to be fair to what Jesus is saying, even though it's a discipleship text. It's extremely important. What he's referencing here, the unquenchable fire, it was actually a place that they would have known. On the southwest side of Jerusalem, there was a steep hill, and it went into the valley of Hinnom, and there was a garbage dump there. And that garbage dump burned every day and every night. That's where they got rid of everything. So on the way to high school, they would walk by the valley of Hinnom, the garbage dump, and they would smell the burning and he's saying, it was, it's like that. It never stopped. It's, it's really bad. It's nasty. All the parents would have said, hey, stay away from the Valley of Hinnon. It's not good. Don't go there. There's stuff there that will hurt you. It's like driving into a corner if you're on the basketball team. Don't ever go into the corner. Nothing good happens on a basketball team in a corner. But young people always drive in the corner. That's free. That's reference to basketball because I coach. But it has nothing to do with this passage. But it is free. Just wanted you to know. And so there's this place. And so I have anybody been to Africa? I was just in Rwanda a couple weeks ago. Anybody been to Africa? You know the smell of Africa? It's fires, right? Because why? They cook with open wood. So they don't have microwaves. They don't have those things, the modern conveniences. So when you get off a plane, you smell fire. And when you realize the whole time you smell fire, it's that smell. It's that thought. When he said it's an unquenchable fire, it would have... It would have resonated with them. That would have meant meaningful. It's a literal lake of fire. It's the abode of the dam. If you don't know Christ, that's where you go. So, the worm doesn't die because the host doesn't die. It's a legitimate threat. And I want to honor the passage and give you a legitimate threat and let you know it's no joking matter. He's simply saying, do this, deal seriously with your sin, or go to hell. It's that serious. It's kind of, it, it's like puts you in a corner over there and you have to make a choice. There's only one way out of the corner. All of this, all of this piled on is a reminder to take sin serious. So the choice is yours. High school students, junior high students, the choice is yours. The kingdom of God or the fire that never dies. Where the worm never dies. What are you going to choose? That's the kind of corner that your pastor puts you in in September. And lo and behold, we circle back around on the topic. So somebody is here this morning that needs to hear this. I need to hear it for sure. That I don't need to offend other people and cause other people to sin. But we also need to all be reminded to not be sloppy with our sanctification. Right? We need to be serious about we, we need to boil for Christ. We need to be on fire for Christ and not be sloppy with our sanctification. We need to take our sin extremely seriously. This is a forceful illustration on how to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
It's radical. Again, Jesus would say he'd rather you be disfigured than to go into hell with all of your appendages. This is spiritual mortification. And I'd trade any body part to go to heaven. Any body part to go to heaven. Do you kind of get the impression here with Jesus that he's not moderate? That's what I love about him. It's like, and, and later on, he would say in Revelation chapter 3, I don't want you to be cold or hot. He's not moderate. There's, there's lukewarm. I, I, there's nothing there. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're going to do Mark 8.34, then it's going to require some, some serious costs. And there's discipleship there. And this is the pinnacle of discipleship, that you make sure that as you walk and live and breathe and follow Christ, that you look out for others and you look out for yourself, your own personal sanctification. And it's better to endure the pain of sanctification than to go skipping into hell. Full, whole, all your body parts. Do you see how serious it is? Now let's go back real quick. I told you in the beginning it was tough. It is tough. I'm telling you up front, it's tough. I told you it was radical. I told you it was intense. I told you it was grotesque. I think the text delivered. I mean, you can continue on. It just repeats itself with feet, hands, and eyes there. So there's nothing more in the text there for you but to go back and kind of the repetition alone. As you teach young people, that's one of the tools we use. We repeat ourselves, right? This is Jesus repeating himself. This is pretty serious stuff. And so I just feel like this is the message for you this morning. And it's a message for, for me, you know, this morning. Here's the principles and we'll pray. Don't lead others into sin. And don't lead yourself into sin. If you mess with fire, you will get burnt. Let's pray together this morning. Father, I am so grateful for these young people. I'm so grateful that they listen, they're attentive, they sit up. And this is one of those texts that just kind of stiffens the spine and it's kind of a gut check and wow. Overwhelming, hyperbole, superlative, over the top. That's what Jesus did with his disciples as he sat his team down said hey watch out that you don't cause anybody to stumble because you'd be better off dead and watch out for yourself like don't come skipping into life and, and deal and be sloppy with your sin deal with it confess your sins and he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins lord jesus work this text into our souls for the one young person, the young man or young woman here today who don't know Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior, I pray that they would repent. They would fall in the mercies of Christ and give their lives to Jesus today. We ask this in the name of King Jesus. Amen. Can I quote one last thing as I walk off the stage? For the sake of hope and the power of the gospel, Jude 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.
He is the one that keeps us from stumbling. Thanks for the opportunity to teach you this morning.